0: I'm your host, David Nage, this is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information or opinions expressed during the Base Layer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group. One of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed. Welcome back to Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Cody Willard. Cody has been a hedge fund manager and also a writer. He's been on CNBC, Fox News, and many other different locations. We had a great conversation about the equity markets and about what's happening out there. There's been some really interesting information coming from Robinhood. 73,000 accounts that are now holding Hertz when they went bankrupt. And we've seen the dislocation with Icon when he actually got out at, I think, about 60 cents. And so something interesting is happening there, and we talked a lot about that. We also spent a good amount of time talking about Bitcoin. Uh, Cody uh, started getting into Bitcoin around 2013, and we talked about the purpose of it and why he believes it's still really important to review in a investor's portfolio. So remember, nothing on Base Layer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Cody Willard. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Layer. and as I've said before many times, Twitter is an amazing place because you get to meet some pretty amazing people. People, I have Cody Willard with me today. He is a hedge fund manager and someone that is really regarded as a fantastic writer and has been early on many different narratives out there. And so, Cody, thank you for joining us today on Layer. How are you?
1: Hey, thanks. That was a nice introduction. I appreciate it
0: well, I try to be nice to people before I rip into them. No, I'm kidding. I I don't do that here. I'm not Joe Rogan. Um, Maybe one day. Um, So what we'd like to do is that this world is becoming really, really strange. You know, we are dealing with a market right now that has rebounded amidst 40 million unemployed, amidst social unrest, amidst a global pandemic, which still exists, by the way, people, it hasn't actually gone away yet. Um, And so what I would love to do is before we get too deep into some of those narratives and conversations, I would love for people to get a little a bit more of a background on you, which is really interesting because, as I said again, you've been early into a lot of those narratives and a lot of those uh, subjects before a lot of people started talking about them. So, just as a context, tell people that are listening right now a little bit about you and how you got into this world of investments.
1: Sure, you can look at some of my track record type stuff um, at tradingwithcody.com. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I'm a, I was going to make the joke that you should. Whether or not you rip into a guest should depend on the guest. (laughs) (laughs) I was an anchor on Fox Business for two and a half, three years. I was on CNBC, I was Cudlow's sidekick for many years. And um, I ran a hedge fund um, from 2002 to 2007 when I closed it to become a TV anchor full time. And then um, I didn't really like doing TV. So after uh, three years of full-time TV. I um, somewhat retired and moved back to New Mexico, I would hate to say, but um, at an early age and was just going to write mostly. But along the way, I got married to have uh, two beautiful daughters, one of whom is uh, one's six years old, one's about to turn five, the um, younger one has a genetic disorder called trisomy 13 okay. and she has a trach and uh, doesn't walk or talk, but she's uh, awesome. And we have a blast and mm-hmm. I was just playing with her and her sister this morning. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so anyway, I did at one point decide I'm going to go ahead and get back to work. And I launched another hedge fund last a couple years ago now. Um, uh, You know, and I'm like you said, I'm a technology revolution, you didn't say this, but I'm a revolution investor is what I call it. I try to find um companies and trends that are not just um disruptive but are truly Mm -hmm. changing the world, revolutionizing how we engage. And so yes, I've owned um, you know, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but everybody's got some hits. But, yeah, I've owned and still own Apple from a dollar. I own uh, Google since the IPO. Um, you wanted to talk, I think, later about Bitcoin, which I've owned since 2013 at $100. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I try to find right now my favorite trend, by the way, is the space revolution. So we can okay. talk about whatever you want and all yeah, these let's things. Talk about that. Um, also do obviously economics and blah, 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 politics etc
0: so let's do this i as i want to uh, jump in so there's this tweet that you put out a few days ago and i really like it um so i'm going to read it out and then we're going to talk about it so remember when the markets were limit down and the circuit breakers kept halting the intraday crashes and people on tv were like we should close the markets for a week By the way, if you guys listen to the show and you listen to a show I did with Mark Yusko about two and a half months ago, we talk specifically about that. The market was down. It was limit down. And actually, there was no bids on treasuries at one moment in time. It was that bad. And so things were really, really bad. And so then, you know, you said like almost two months ago, this happened. And then that was kind of weird that all of a sudden we're here and everything seems to be back to where it was back in January. And you have, you know, the S&P that has recovered. You have the NASDAQ, which is all the way back up. And so it's almost like nothing's happened. So in your opinion, what the heck happened?
1: So I think there's four factors that you could point to for the reason for the big rally off the bottom. Um number one, it was a record-setting crash, the um rapidity with which the markets fell. Um, I call it the Kurzweil um rate of change, which mm-hmm. things are it's written named after Ray Kurzweil, um, the author of I can't think of what his book is at the moment, but it's the rate of change, where he talks about how we live in a time where things happen instantly and the amount of innovations that happen in a yearly basis used to take um, a century because Mm -hmm. the exponential rate of innovation continues to to grow. And so with the instantaneousness of everything out there, including money being able to move um, cross borders, cross asset classes um, instantly, you had the, a market that crashed 40% mm-hmm. in what a matter of two or three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. And that in some sense is a, it was too, far, too fast, too far. And so you had this very low bottom when stocks like um, Boeing are down 75% and across the board, everything was down somewhere between 40 to 90%. Um, you've got you know anything that goes right. If these companies are going to survive, the markets are going to come back strongly. And so there was um, the Fed then is the next factor I would point to. And with the amount of money that the Fed printed and borrowed and the government is printing and borrowing in general to do the stimulus stuff monetarily and fiscally, um, you have you know, the entire market stock markets 20 or 30 trillion dollars mm-hmm. and they printed four or five trillion and you know pumped it probably 10 trillion through the system in various ways and so that's a lot of that money obviously is going to inflate asset prices or flow into the markets or however you want to phrase that and um and then likewise i think you we're going to allude to this anyway but the amount of retail investors that came into the market, millions of people opened retail stock accounts at Robinhood and other places Mm -hmm. in uh, April and May. And that then they got stimulus checks. And if you still had a job and got your stimulus check, Heck, you know, you weren't able to bet on the baseball games. You weren't able to go to the casino. Let's throw some in the stock market in that new right. Robinhood account. Right. And so when you have millions of people with thousands of dollars, that's, well, that's another few trillion dollars. Right. And much of that is also basically the Fed money that those printed and borrowed, but it flows then from the retail side into these really speculative names. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Look, and the market's always a discounting mechanism, right? Or Theoretically, I, I don't know what it was supposedly discounting at the bottom in, uh, what was it, late April or March. I get on months mixed up now. Um, but whatever it bottomed, I'm not sure what it was supposedly discounting. And likewise, I'm not sure what it's actually supposedly discounting right now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and look, that's, I don't know if I hit all four of them, but there's a, lot, a litany of factors that make the market go up. There's never just one reason, right?
0: So let me ask you so, from a perspective, from having experience in this for a number of years, and let's, we'll talk about the Robinhood uh, phenomenon because that's really interesting, but from an experienced perspective, Investor such as yourself, someone who has been the fiduciary of LPs' monies out there, obviously you need to know what's happening out there. You need to know your marks, and so to me, it feels a little like we're in the eye of the storm. And just to the reference, if anyone doesn't know, you've ever seen a hurricane, it can be real bad when you're in the outer band when the thing is coming right to you. It can get real bad, and then all of a sudden, the sun is shining and the air and the wind go away and everything's nice and calm and you're like oh wait a second it's fine everything's good now we're we're safe but on the back end you have the remaining part of the storm that's coming at you at 150 miles an hour to me it feels like a little bit of the eye of the storm now for reasons why we'll talk about it. so we have over 110,000 people who have died of covid in the last 3 months we have millions of other people who have been infected. We're still not necessarily up to scale on that on that testing facility s- uh, side of things. We're starting to see an uprise, um, obviously social, and we've seen protests, and those protests have been with hundreds of thousands of people that are kind of congregating together. We're starting to see rises in infection rates in other in other states out there. So it's not gone. We're not New Zealand where we've eradicated the virus, and so. To me, it still seems that there is this factor out there that a lot of people are just ignoring, that it's just not a thing anymore. And for me, this feels like we're in the eye of the storm where all of a sudden we've been in kind of in our bunker you know, for the last two and a half, three months, and we're tired of it, and we're bored, and everything is back to hunky-dory. Now, re- kind of refute that, or do you agree with that?
1: feels um, I, I wouldn't refute it. I, I don't disagree. Um, it, the, the problem is that it almost feels consensus that mm-hmm. I feel it too, that I don't, even someone as someone who was bearish and selling in February and then started buying perhaps a little too early when the markets took their hit. And then as you know, I've had knock on wood, this is, you know, we've had, we've ridden this a little bit, right? Yeah. And. So I'm not one of those guys who's sour grapes or something. I'm I do I just at this moment feel like everyone else, it seems, where I'm mm-hmm. go, the market's disconnected from reality. Yeah. And when that's consensus, the market tends to make a full lot of consensus most of the time. So yeah. that's number one as a trading aspect of it. But then number two is an economic aspect of it. The one thing that maybe keeps this from Crashing or even having a really bad year or two, or just some sideways, per slow drip lower market for a year or two, which is frankly what I think would be appropriate right now. Mm-hmm. But it's this onshoring and the movement of the amount of money that's going to have to be invested in the United States to break its dependence on um, foreign supply chains. Yep. And obviously China specifically, but yep. in general, and um, that's going to hurt profits, but it's also going to unleash a wave of economic activity here in the United States. And then the United States is always the cleanest shirt in the global laundry. And we've got the petrodollar and we've got at least not negative interest rates. We might be paying next to nothing in those savings accounts. and. Yep people lending government mo- to the, the government money, but at least it's positive and not negative. So if you're in any country else around the world, you're either buying Bitcoin or dollars or trying to get your money into dollar-denominated asset classes. Mm-hmm. And that is a trend I don't see breaking anytime soon. And so, you know, the United States, it's tough to bet against the United States. Things usually work out for the U.S.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, again, going back to that Hood theme, um, and so Hertz, Hertz filed for bankruptcy, Icon bowed out, and all of a sudden, 73,000 accounts on Robinhood started buying Hertz, and now it's up 400%. So what is going on here? So the legends of the Leon Coopermans, the Icons, all of those guys out there that have been stewards of capital, have made billions of dollars either as activists or amazing traders and asset managers, have been somehow been missing the boat. The airline for companies, for goodness sake, Delta, and all the other ones out there are on the rise. And I keep seeing this guy, Dave Portnoy, from Barstool Sports, and he's on there now. He's got his videos, and he's talking about how he's trading this and that and the other thing. Is this the new normal?
1: No, no. It's It's all good for everybody while it lasts, but this never ends well. Um, look, there's, I was short Hertz, uh, trading with Cody, um, subscribers know this. We shorted Hertz a year ago, at 15, $18 or something and, um, wrote it all the way down and covered, I think, I don't know, <laughs> early March. Um, and did not catch the actual bankruptcy. Unfortunately, we made some great money on the way down. But the, what I am also want to get to is, I have this playbook I've written about over the years that I don't use all the time, and I also didn't use it this time because I'm trying to be defensive. <laughs> yeah, and I don't like the risk-reward of being aggressively trading right now in general. Yeah. But you can buy stocks of a big company, when they the day they file for bankruptcy, And you hold it for five days, you sell a third of it, and you hold the rest of it for five weeks and sell the rest. Um, Or you sell it along the way for the next five weeks. And in general, that almost always works out. It's got an 80% hit ratio over time. If it's a multi-billion dollar company household name that files for bankruptcy, you buy the stock the day of. And one of the reasons why is because all those guys who were smartly shorted into the bankruptcy they've made their money, they're going to cover, they're going to get out. Mm-hmm. And so there's a natural buying force that comes in and then there's the speculative people that don't understand that it's truly in bankruptcy and then they start right. buying it. And so in this particular case, that was on steroids. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a stock go up a thousand percent after it went on, uh, it filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's happened, but I've never, I, it's rare. And so right. this was that, trend happened on steroids. you had all the shorts cover but then you had all this these millions of retail investors look at hey it hurts we can buy it for 50 cents what can go wrong and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, a virtuous cycle I, I call it vicious because really it's going to end up hurting all of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no value there. it's certainly not five dollars although because it's now back to five bucks, it's almost possible that Hertz could maybe recapitalize all of a sudden, raise some money from their equity. I don't even know. It doesn't make any sense. And so by the way, that's also why I keep getting defensive in my portfolio. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to protect gains. I'm trying to protect the money in these, uh, uh, in the accounts because Mm -hmm. I don't, a lot of this stuff isn't making sense to me. I can explain it after the fact, but I don't, when I can't predict with any or even have a sense of what's supposed to be happening here and things are weird and, unprecedented let's just be a little let's raise some cash let's buy some gold let's buy some bitcoin let's be cool
0: it does not make sense very well said so before we go i want you to talk about bitcoin so as you mentioned you entered it around 2013 would love to hear your thesis why you kind of alluded to it and then You know, obviously, I I imagine you still believe in it. And do you believe in it because of this new, you know, as I said, it's not a thesis. It's not a hypothesis. There are new narratives that drive, you know, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is something to many different people. It can mean something. Whereas you're in Venezuela and you're looking to obviously get out of owning a you know a piece of crap fiat that's worth nothing or you can be someplace else where you're you're worried that your country might start obviously you know censoring your your assets lots of different things for lots of different people um for you what is bitcoin to you is it something like the inflation protection you know in the camp there or you know kind of what is your thesis behind it
1: all of the above (laughs) um the reason i originally started buying bitcoin in 2013 was, I, I uh, several reasons, but it, it's mostly about the people in countries that have repeatedly completely devalued the currencies: Venezuela, Iraq, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, Zimbabwe, um, and I, you know, I have friends from these countries in New York, and especially the wealthy from these countries spend their lives trying to figure out how to get their money into something dollar denominated or into something that's not based on the currency in that country. Mm -hmm. And so I had people here, um, meanwhile, that were falling for this Iraqi dinar scam. Mm -hmm. where you would buy Iraqi dinars and then supposedly the government was going to revalue it at 10 times higher or something. It didn't even make any sense. But I wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal about why I wish people would buy Bitcoin and not Iraqi dinars. And you should just put maybe 1% of your assets into Bitcoin because the thing might really be revolutionary. Its Mm -hmm. concept is sound. The idea that this real... Um, this actual digital currency that cannot be inflated mm-hmm. artificially, we had no the playbook for how many will exist and it's global and it's the time and place for it. And then yes, of course the fiat currency in our own country, I'm not too worried about again, because the United States is unique with its petrodollar, but mm-hmm. the fiat currency in a, any European or major Asian country is fake. And by definition, and that's not gonna work out well. Negative interest rates are fake. That's not gonna work out well. People around the world want and need alternatives to their currency. And Bitcoin is has the de facto standard. It's got the brand name. It's got the critical mass. It's, I, people ask me, I train with Cody. Cody, what do you think about Ripple these days? Or anything about XYZ? altcoin. And my answer is always this, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. The rest, I don't, like I own a little bit, a couple of, you know, Ripple and one, Ethereum or something, but I only really invest in Bitcoin. I've owned it for many years. And I, right. I, I wrote a book, by the way, about the Greek Bitcoin crash and published it the day the thing talked. Hmm. It's poorly edited because I rushed it out, <laughs> but I, 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 i i do think bitcoin long term is um it is a very safe place to keep um some of your wealth relatively safe i shouldn't say very safe it's a relatively safe place to keep some of your wealth I yes,
0: all all assets out there have degrees of risk that need to be evaluated by you and by your professionals that you work with, like Cody and others out there. So, Cody, uh, as we let you go, where can people find out more about you? How can they get in touch?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter, of course. And um, if you are interested at uh, tradingwithcody.com, it's uh, $129 a month or 1249 a year. Um, to sign up and get my analysis and see my trades when I do them and um, a list of my positions with analysis and ratings for each of them that are updated about monthly. Um, And, you know, uh, I've got a couple more minutes and I actually just wanted to ask you, um, are you feet to fire, you know? stocks would you rather buy sell it sounds like you'd rather sell bitcoin you'd rather buy are mm-hmm. we in consensus on this too do you is everybody you're talking to are we creating our own echo chamber
0: it's a great question. And obviously, I'll just preface it that, you know, this is not investment advice. As I always say on my show, I don't give investment advice on my show. But, you know, from my perspective, I see that the market capitulated, you know, very hard in in March, as we just alluded to and we talked about. And then we saw a tremendous amount of intervention, monetary and fiscal intervention. I've also been monitoring the equity markets for the last decade now. And I've seen what companies have done in terms of their buybacks and in terms of, their dividends. You know, the share buybacks have been, in my opinion, you know, a steroid as well too, whereas the company itself might have hundreds of millions in their coffers and they're not necessarily spending it on internal CapEx and R&D. they rather just go out and either do a buyback um, of their stock so they can remove some of that float um, or potentially maybe look at M&A activity and pay and overpay for a company to be accretive to their pipeline. And so... I have seen, you know, this kind of massive dislocation within the equity markets for the last decade. I think what we've seen what, you know, kind of came to light is that we saw a lot of the emphasis and a lot of the scrutiny on those buybacks over the last few months that has seemed to kind of dissipate over the last few weeks with the markets obviously rallying. Um, but I've always been concerned about the equity markets, you know, why, you know, and I'm not picking on one particular company, but why would something like Tesla be at over $900, you know, the book to value and all the other kind of intrinsic, you know, fundamentals there. Oh again, it's, my a goodness. Com- it's a great company. It's a great company. It's a great company. I, 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 I want made, the car.
1: I want the we car. Made <laughs> Tesla. The largest position in my hedge fund, in my personal account, mm-hmm. and at trading with Cody last year at yeah. $200 a share. Mm-hmm. We've been writing it ever since. Mm-hmm. This thing is going to be a trillion dollar company. They're going to do a trillion dollars someday. And again, there's always risk. I'm not stating yeah. this like it's so a guarantee, but I still own it, still my largest position. And there is a reason that it is at these values because the market is, you never know when the market's going to discount the next five years of revolution.
0: Right. In my opinion, and I've, you know, coming from the family office world and talking to a lot of investors who did much more fundamental analysis, more Graham-Dodd type of analysis, the Buffett type of analysis, I think they also became disenchanted with the equity markets because it became all algorithmic. You know, the algos were fighting algos. You know, a lot of that, the machines were kind of at the hands of the market, you know, these days. And so – For me, I've always liked more the early stage venture where you can get in early, you can see what's happening with the income statements and the balance sheets, you can get much more transparency into actually how things are happening, you can look at the cost of customer acquisitions, you can look at all those things. So that's my own personal. Uh, But as relates obviously to digital assets, you know, it's my opinion, and I believe it's shared by my firm, that, you know, digital assets, especially Bitcoin, is an asset that is untethered to the financial markets. It is something whereas the financial markets may go one way or the other, but Bitcoin is away from that. It is systemically away from all of that. Um, And as you alluded to, you know, with 21 million hard cap, it is also there is a lock on that. It cannot be reproduced. And as many other people out there suggest that it can be you know, kind of forked and the forking will be dilutive to that. Well, no, because Bitcoin has the the best network out there, the best developers out there. They have built a system that has been up 99.9% of the time in the last 10 plus years. And so it is, you know, something that is very resilient comparable to the others out there. And so, you know, there's in terms of the equity markets versus digital assets and other things out there, you know, as you know, uh, all investors need to, uh, you know, kind of determine their risk and return, you know, as a family office investor in the previous life, you know, you have to determine kind of how much risk you want to put out there on a yearly basis and then make your determinations from there. So, you know, that would be the, the primary guidelines, obviously, that everyone would follow. But, you know, for me, my own personal opinion is that we've seen a lot of issues that I just think are unhealthy in the equity markets. I think there are still companies out there that are doing amazing things. You alluded to space. Obviously, you know Elon Musk and SpaceX just put a comp- you know put you know did amazing things over the last two weeks. You know there are companies out there that are creating new drugs. There are companies out there, especially with COVID, that are able to use genetic sequencing to come up with vaccines in three hours and potentially you know uh, you know kind of stave us off from massive global pandemics in the future. So there are great companies out there, um, but I've just been a little concerned with the activity, you know, over the last decade on what they've been doing out there, and I think we need a little bit further transparency.
1: Hey, interesting answer. Um, can we leave uh, with one? Uh, I, I liked your positivity there, and I just wanted to leave. Um, sure. You know, acknowledging the protests and everything going sure. on, and I always strive to be better at. To a better person to evaluate my own life mm-hmm. uh, and um, I, um, I think the status quo uh, can be challenged and should be challenged at all times because we can always improve things and yes um, thanks for having me over here Cody
0: it was a pleasure thank you for coming on the show and we'll be talking to you again soon take care
1: thanks so much
0: Thanks for listening in to Basslayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.